Good evening. Have your Bibles open it to Acts chapter 12. Let's start at verse 19. It says, After Herod had a thorough search made for him, that would be Peter, and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there a while. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. I gotta tell you, I'm really digging the book of Acts. You might say, after after that story, why would you mention that now? Well, it's not just the story. It, the book of Acts has, has just brought so much life and insight into how God works within people and in situations. Last week, we were talking about Herod a little bit, and we saw that he killed James, one of the disciples. And he, because of that, got approval from the Jews. And so he then went after Peter to get Peter, and he arrested Peter and was going to put him before trial and execute him as well, but God miraculously delivered Peter. And we saw that the church was earnestly praying for him when he was taken into custody. And the angel had to come and, and wake Peter up, and we talked about how Peter's always sleeping through these big events, and sometimes that's us, you know, we find ourselves sleeping through some of the biggest things that God is doing, like, oh, where was I? You were sleeping, don't you remember? You were doing the whiplash thing at church, and and, and God woke up Peter, and, yeah, everyone's going to be paying attention now, aren't you? Uh, and God woke Peter up, and and got him out of there, and he went to the house where they were praying for him, and he knocked on the door, and, and the girl answered the door, and she closed it again, or closed the hole that was, you know, saw, and said, Peter's outside. And they said, no, he can't be outside. We're praying for him right now. He's in jail. They said, no, really, he's outside. And he kept knocking, and they wouldn't let him in. Finally, they let him in. They were marveling. And this is where we're picking up, because Herod heard that Peter had escaped, and so he had the guards executed. He was a real nice guy. And this Herod, there's a lot of Herods throughout the scripture, and this Herod is actually the grandson of Herod the Great, which we know from Luke's gospel is the one who went out to kill all the male children that were two years old and under because he had encountered the Magi and they had said a king is going to be born, and so he figured, well, I'm just going to get rid of any possibility of any king, and so he killed all the children that were there two years old and younger. It was said of that Herod that it was safer to be a pig 
in, Her in Herod's barn than it was to be a son in his household because he would kill his sons when they got old enough to he felt they were threatening to his th throne, his crown. So yeah, he comes from good lineage, this guy. And so he kills the guards, and then he goes off, you know, to Caesarea. And Caesarea is like a resort town. It's like the Cabo of, you know, the area. He's going to go, oh, man, it's just bugging him. Peter got away. I'm going to go take some time off. And so he goes, and he's hanging out at Caesarea. It's a coastal town. It's beautiful. The amphitheater that's mentioned there was actually built by his grandfather, it had five-star hotels. I mean, it was the posh place to go. And so Herod, who is kind of a self-appointed king of the Jews, he's not really Jewish. He's a descendant from Esau. And he, they were called the Idumeans. His mother was Jewish, but his father wasn't. His father was a descendant from Esau. And so the Jews did not give him respect because they thought of him as a half-breed. And so he never gained that respect from them. But when he did kill James and he gained a little respect, he thought he'd get Peter and gain more and that failed. And so now here he is in Caesarea trying to recover from just that loss of Peter. And he's staying there a while. They believe it's about six months from that passage of time to this passage of time. And he was quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And that wasn't good for them because Tyre and Sidon were not an agricultural, agricultural society. They were not agrarian. I think that's a word. They depended on Herod for their food supply, and now he's quarreling with them. So he's got sanctions over Tyre and Sidon. He's limiting the food supply, most likely, and he's kind of squeezing them, letting them feel the pressure of his displeasure. We don't know why he was upset, but he was upset, and he was letting them know about it. And so they had to, to get in there with them and make audience with them, and so they secured the support of Blastus. Blastus, what a name. You know, it sounds like a, I don't know. It should be like a Power Ranger or something, one of their villains, Blastus. Anyway, they secured the support of Blastus, probably giving him money, bribing him, so that they could get an audience with Herod, so that they could try and, and smooth things over. And as they gain this audience with him, it's going to be taking place while he's giving this speech. It's really a political speech that he's going to be giving and in verse 21, it says, On that day he was wearing royal robes, and he sat on his throne and delivered the public address to his people. Now, we have insight into this event because of Josephus, as historian at that time. In fact, he accounts for this event quite a bit. In Josephus' writing, he says that Herod put on garment that was made wholly of silver, and of contexture truly wonderful, and came into the theater early in the morning at the time the silver of his garment was illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it. It shone out after a surprising manner, and he notes that Herod just came out there and did not rebuke the people or reject their flattery. And so here is this scene. Herod comes out with this exquisite clothing that would make the ladies at the Academy Awards, you know, envious. 
that, you know, would be on all the news channels. Today, Herod came out in his silver garment, and here he comes out, and he walks out there, and the sun is shining on it, and the people are like, wow, this is really impressive. And he gives this speech, and as he gives this speech, the people shouted, this is a voice of a god, not of a man. Now, who are the people who are shouting this out? There are the people who want something from Herod. You know, flattery is a dangerous thing. I heard it was said that flattery is like bubblegum. It's okay to chew it, but don't swallow it. Don't believe it. You can enjoy it for the moment, but don't believe the press. And these people wanted bread from Herod, and so they started buttering him up. Saying, hey, you're the voice of a god, not of a man. Wow, you're amazing. And he took that flattery. According to Josephus, he didn't rebuke them. He accepted it. And it says immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Anyone want any snacks right now before we continue? Any? Okay. Again, Josephus writes about this further and says that it was actually, he bent, he doubled up right here because of intestinal worms. And five days later, he died. They believe it was a tapeworm that caused a cyst to develop and then the cyst burst and it's gruesome from there on. But he was eaten with worms from the inside out and died. Yes. Let that picture sink into your, into your thoughts. What's interesting to me in this account is that Herod was struck down, it says, by God because he did not give praise or glory to God that an angel struck him. Herod was not a follower of Jesus. He was not even really a, a true Jew. He wasn't a very noble person in any respect. Why would God care if he doesn't give him praise? Does not give him glory? What does that mean? The scriptures tell us that in Isaiah that God, I am the Lord God and I will not share my glory with anyone. But this is talking about something a little bit different. It's definitely connected to the situation because they called him a god, but he would not give praise or the glory to the real God, and so he was struck down. But turn with me to Romans, to your right there. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Romans 1, verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood 
from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. God's wrath, His judgment is being revealed, it's being understood, it's being made known against the godlessness and wickedness of men. And the key here is who suppress the truth by their wickedness. In other words, they are holding the truth back because of the wickedness that they're living. The truth is not able to be seen because of the wickedness of their life. Paul seems to be implying here that even the ungodly have the ability to acknowledge the glory of God, but their wickedness suppresses it. It keeps them blind to it, even though it's evident and it's there for them to see. That God has given all men enough to know, whether it's through the creation, whether it's through someone sharing, he has given them enough for them to recognize who he is since the creation of the world's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. They should know. Why don't they know? Their wickedness has suppressed the truth. In Herod's situation, he should have known the truth, that only God deserves glory. He should have known it, whether it be through the creation or through the traditions that he was familiar with, with the Jews. But he didn't. He suppressed it, and so the wrath of God was revealed in him. He was eaten with worms, he died. He did not give glory to God. Our lives are a testimony to God one way or another. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Doesn't matter if you're a believer or a non-believer. Your knee will bow, your tongue will confess. You will either do it now or you will do it then. But everyone will know. And God will not be mocked Whatever a man reaps, that's what he's going to sow. You can reap to the flesh corruption or to the spirit life. Herod had the choice. Wanting the approval of men, he took glory that belonged to God, praise that belonged to God, would not give it to God, accepted it for himself. He should have known better. He should have recognized that he was made in God's image, but he was not God. And the judgment came on him because of his pride, his lack of recognition of who God really was. And from a man who was persecuting the church, put to death James, was trying to do the same to Peter, a man who was out to kill them, though he died, the church that he persecuted continued. God, God has this story in here for a reason, 
for us to learn something about those who are resistant to him. He wins. He wins. It's kind of like when I'm, I'm doing dog training. I, I, one of the things I, I tell the clients is I say, you have to always win. If you tell the dog to go down, you have to win. They have to go down. Otherwise, in the dog's mind, they win, and it takes away your leadership if they can get away with it. And so whatever it is you ask, you've got to enforce it so the dog sees, I always win, one way or another. I tried to do that as a parent, too. You know? <laughs> when my boys were younger, I could always wrestle them, and I always won. In their minds, I've always won. I haven't wrestled them in a long time. <laughs> God always wins. And it's not like God is here to just, I'm going to get you if you don't do what I say. It's, the wrath is revealed because the wickedness is suppressing the truth. And finally, the wickedness is so evident, it destroys the person. That was the case with Herod. This is a judgment on him. He knew better. He didn't give the praise, the glory to God. And so he was eaten with worms and died. What are the things in our lives that are eating us? Is it pride? Our pride that won't admit wrong in our life, won't admit a situation maybe with your spouse, with your parents, with your children, with your employer, friends, that holds a hard line against them and even though you know you're wrong, you're not going to admit it because I don't want to ever be wrong. I don't want them to think I'm weak, whatever it is. And so we put a firm face on and we don't allow ourselves to be softened and our pride is resistant. It'll eat us up. Is it some kind of sin? Something in our lives that we know don't, doesn't please God? And, and we still do it. We still give in to it. We still pursue it. It'll eat you up. It will eat you up. Sin always finds you out. It does. Is it anxiety and worry? We're told not to be anxious about anything, but at everything in prayer and supplication to present our requests to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But worry and anxiety eat us up. And instead of trusting God, we hold on to those cares. We hold on to those worries. Is it unthankfulness? Are you just a miserable person, not thankful? You don't find anything. The scriptures tell us, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Psalm 92 says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises unto your name, Most High. You show forth your loving kindness every morning and your faithfulness every night. 
Are we not giving thanks? Are we just sour people? Is it eating you up inside? What is it that's eating you up? Whatever it is, it's the lack of giving glory to God. It is not giving the praise to God that he deserves. It's your life not being what it was created to be. By not living that life, what you do is not give glory to God. Oh yeah, Herod's was obvious. Maybe ours is a little subtle. But our lives were made to give praise to God. And if our lives do not do it because of something inside us that is withholding that, that is keeping something in us, a sin, a, a fear, anxiety, a worry, an unthankful heart, whatever it might be, and so our lives do not give praise to God, it'll eat us up and, and it'll destroy us. And so let's not allow, the, let's let the lesson of Herod be something we can learn from, something we can grow past, something we can see. I don't want to be eaten by worms of worry, worms of sin, worms of unthankfulness. Let's give glory to God. Let's give praise to God. And again, it says in verse 24, but the word of God continued and increased and spread. And oh, by the way, Guess what? God kept on working. Herod, the king, the man with all the nice threads, you know, was out there and he passed away. But guess what? The word of God kept going. And we see this throughout the book of Acts. It's like better than the Energizer Bunny, man. The word of God just keeps on going and going and going. You can't stop it. The word of God spreads from people to people to people and it increased and it spread. And it says in verse 25, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned to Jerusalem from Jerusalem, taking with them John also called Mark. Now remember last chapter, we saw that there was a famine in, in the nation that was prophesied there was going to be a famine. And so the, the church said, well, let's take help to Jerusalem. And it went through Barnabas and Saul. And so they're coming back from that trip and they've got with them also John Mark, who is, who we know is Barnabas's nephew. And so John Mark is coming back with them. They're coming back from this mission trip to help the church out in Jerusalem who was suffering. They come back and now we're going to start another really section. They, chapter 13 is kind of almost thought of as the second half of the book of Acts because from now on, Saul, or who will be called Paul later on in this chapter, is going to become the primary focus. And his missionary journeys to the ends of the earth are going to be seen, all the places he goes. And this is kind of home base now for where the church started with the Gentiles, here in Antioch. In verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 1, it says, In the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, the place, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So here they are back at Antioch, and they're 
are prophets and teachers. And there's a distinction here between prophets and teachers. There's also distinctions in the scripture between pastors and teachers. Here a prophet and a teacher, a prophet is someone who tells or speaks forth this message. It's kind of more of a preacher. A definition that I read was one who acts as an interpreter or forth teller of the divine will. Someone who declares the will of God. Whereas a teacher, so a prophet would be someone who tells forth or gives forth the word of God, but a teacher would be someone who kind of expounds what the word of God is. And so here in this gathering, there are prophets and teachers. We know in, in Corinthians, there's kind of a threefold ministry that gives apostles. To some he gave apostles, he gave prophets, then teachers. They're kind of an order there that's given. First were the apostles, the twelve, those who followed Jesus. And then there became the prophets, those who proclaimed the word of God. And then teachers, those who instructed in the things of God. That's kind of a threefold. And it goes on and talks about miracles, talks about healings, it talks about gifts of tongues, those who do good works. There's all kinds of places that are given there in Corinthians chapter 12. But here we see there are prophets and there are teachers. There's a distinction made. And then there's some names that are given out. Of course, Barnabas we've been talking about. Simon called Niger. The word Niger means black. So Simon called black. They believe he was someone from Cyrene. Or it could have even been Simon the Cyrene, the one who carried Jesus' cross. And in which case, we don't know for sure. Lucius of Cyrene might have been someone he led to the Lord. And then this other guy, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. This is not Herod the Great. And this would actually be his son, the one who lived, that he didn't kill, who would also be the father of the Herod we just read about who died. And so he was raised in his home. And now here he is, a part of this group of the church. So kind of cool thing. Hey, weren't you one of Herod's? You know, in Herod's household, yeah, wow, you made it, you lived, good job, you know. You got through it. And so we see this range of people that were there. And as they were there, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Now, I like the way the King James and the New American Standard translate this. While they were ministering to the Lord. I love that translation, ministering to the Lord. They weren't getting ministered to by the Lord. They were ministering to the Lord. And now the word worship makes more sense. Because ministering to the Lord and worshiping the Lord, those go hand in hand. Have you ever thought about the fact that you can minister to the Lord? Don't you always think, Lord, minister to me? Lord, take care of me. But you can actually minister to God? What a, what a concept. Well, if that's the case... How are you doing in your ministering to the Lord? How's that going these days? Are you ministering to him or are you just trying to get? When you go to pray, do you, do you ever just thank the Lord? Do you ever have a time of prayer where it's just, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. I love you. God, you're so merciful to me. God, you're so good. You're majestic. You're wonderful. You're, you're patient. You're kind. You're long-suffering with me. God, your mercies endure forever. There, I can't tell you how great you are, how good you are. God, you are greater than the heavens. And do you ever just have a time of prayer with that? Or how quick from that does it go to, Lord, the electric bills do in five minutes. You know, um, 
Lord, my kids, Lord, my friends, Lord, my enemies, Lord, Lord, my, give me, help me, take care for me, do this for me, God. How quickly does our prayer turn into minister to me? Here they were praying and fasting and ministering, worshiping the Lord, just giving to God. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And in that context, while they're there ministering to the Lord, while they were doing that, I love that word in verse 2, while they were doing this, the Holy Spirit said, how much do we not hear from God because we're not ministering to him? We're too busy talking. God, give me. God, give me. God, help me. God, help. Give me. Give me help. And God's like, if you'd shut up, I could say something. As they were ministering to the Lord, as they were there fasting, neglecting their, their own desires, food, waiting on God, ministering to him, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Now notice a couple things. First of all, it's Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas was the leader at this point. He's kind of the one who's in charge. And how did the Holy Spirit say this to them? How did they know the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul? Well, we saw earlier, there were prophets there. There were people who were telling forth and declaring the divine instructions that God was giving. Someone said, the Lord wants Barnabas and Saul to be set aside for this ministry. I believe God's saying that to me. I believe God is telling me that. Has God ever put something on your heart or maybe someone has talked to you about something on their heart that they feel, I feel like the Lord wants to do this in your life. I feel like the Lord wants to raise you up and use you to minister to these people. I know I've shared about Alex. You know, it's not a real astute observation. <laughs> Alex, I think God wants to use you in Mexico. Duh, he's been using there. But, you know, I, I know that that's his calling. It doesn't take a genius to know that one. But sometimes God just puts on your heart, well, I think God wants to really use you more. And I know I have been encouraged by people in that way as well. God's, I think God wants to use you in this way. God has put it on my heart that he wants to use. I remember there was a pastor years ago named Jim Kempner, way back in Costa Mesa in the Saturday night concert days. And he came out to Alhambra one time, and I was playing music and leading worship, and Jim Kempner came up to me and he said, God wants to use you in worship. He's given you a gift he wants to use you in that way. Allow him to. And I was like, okay, you know. And I took it to heart, and it, it, I believed that God fulfilled that. And it gave me just that encouragement that I needed and investment in that gift that God has called. And so listening to the Lord and then being able to speak, the Holy Spirit used these people, I believe, these prophets, those that were there, to speak out this word and say, Barnabas and Saul, set apart for the work which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. That's great. They sent them off. They, they saw the anointing on their lives. They heard from God that they were called and then they sent them. I want to send people. 
But I don't want to just send anybody. Because some people shouldn't go. But some people should. Some people God wants to set apart for the work. And I want to lay hands on people and send them off. Years ago, two young men came to E3, the college study. And I had shared something, I don't know what it was, but the Lord used it to minister to them. But I feel like the God, that God's calling me to go into Mexico for a period of time. And their parents weren't so thrilled about the idea at that time. And so they were struggling. Should I go? Should I listen to my parents? And what, do you, what does the Lord want for me to do? And I remember just sharing with them, I believe that God has put that in your heart for a reason. And you need to hear God and listen to God and obey God rather than man. And they both spent about a year and a half down in Vizcaino. And their relationship with their parents is great. God worked that out and smoothed that over. But the Lord just put that on their heart and used the study and used me to encourage them. Hey, I think the Lord wants this for your life, for this time. God just puts that on your heart so that you can push, you know, that person in the direction that God is calling them to go. And so they're sent off. And that's great. In verse 4 it says, The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Now, I got a question. How did they know where to go? It just says the Holy Spirit sent them, but how did they know where to go? They went to this one place and then sailed from there to Cyprus. Why Cyprus? Cyprus was Barnabas' hometown. That's where Barnabas came from. It wasn't a great place. It wasn't a great morally established place. It was a place in need. But that's where Barnabas came from. And so the Lord sent him there. And it doesn't say the Lord's told them to go there. It just said the Lord sent them, but then they chose where to go. And he went back to his hometown. Started work there. I like that, because I'm, I'm in Upland here. <laughs> so, where do you want me to go, Lord? Okay, I'll go to my hometown. I'll go to Upland. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes we get so hung up on, where do you want me to go, God? Where do you want me? It just says the Holy Spirit sent them. Sent them on their way. Just gave them that push with the bicycle. You ever try and push a kid when they're on a tricycle and you take off the training wheels? It's exhausting, by the way. You, you, you're running behind them and you're running, you know, but you can't guide them. Okay, turn left. Oh, you're going to turn left. No, you'll knock them over. You just got to send them and let them go. They'll, they'll find their way. Oh, yeah, they might hit the neighbor's car first time through, but, you know, then, then they'll come around and they'll learn how to steer right or whatever. But you, sometimes God just sends us and we got to go. What if you're, you know, my daughter woke up in the morning and she said, Dad, it's 8 o'clock. Sun's up. I'm awake. Good, hon. That's good. Can I get out of bed? Sure. Okay. I'm out of bed now, Dad. Dad, can I get dressed? Yeah. 
yeah, get dressed. Which should I wear, Dad, my dress or my pants? Your dress? Yeah, wear a dress. That sounds good. Okay, Dad. Okay, Dad, I got my dress on. Good. What flip-flops should I wear, Dad? The pink ones or the black ones? Um, the pink ones would be fine. Okay, I got my flip-flops on, Dad. Dad, can I come out of the room? Yeah, come out of the room. Okay, I'm in the hallway now, Dad. Can I come to the kitchen? Yeah, come to the kitchen. Okay, here I come, Dad. I'm coming to the kitchen now. All right, I'm in the kitchen. Hi, Dad. Hi, honey. How are you? I'm good, Dad. Can I have some breakfast? Yeah, have some breakfast. Okay, can I have some cereal? Have some cereal. Go ahead. Should I eat Special K or sh shredded wheat, Dad? I don't care, you know. Pick one. What if our kids did that? It'd drive us crazy. But how many times do we do that with God? God says, go. Okay, God, should I turn left? Should I turn right? Just go. We get so hung up. Instead of just hearing that and moving, and Barnabas went to Cyprus. Well, let's start somewhere. Let's start in Cyprus. Okay, sounds good. All it says is the Holy Spirit sent them. It doesn't say he sent them to. It says he sent them, and then they went to this place and sailed from there to Cyprus. They just started moving. It's easier to steer a car when it's moving. You can't steer a parked car very good, especially ones with power steering. And so, verse 5, it says, They arrived at Salamis, and they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. That's John Mark. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and prophet named Bar-Jesus who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul, there's the order again, because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimaeus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who's also called Paul, and now this is where his name changes. We're not going to see... Saul anymore. He has now become Paul. Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimaeus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perversing the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time and you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Wow, Paul, what do you, how do you really feel? I mean, <laughs> we see here that a situation, they get to this place, they go to see this man who is a proconsul, and it's interesting because he, he's got this Jewish sorcerer, false prophet named Bar-Jesus as his attendant, but it says that he's an intelligent man. It seems contradictory, but there's a lot of intelligent people who get advice from unintelligent people or not good advice. And it, it's not uncommon to find someone who is intelligent who's getting bad advice, and that is the case here. And we see this this guy is trying to keep control over this man, and he then tries to steer him from the faith, and then it says that Paul looks straight at him. 
I wonder what that straight at him looked like. He stared, gazed into his eyes, it says. He looked at him and then comes out these wonderful words of Scripture. You child of the devil. You enemy of everything that is right. You're full of deceit. He just blasts the guy. And then what's interesting is that he pronounces a judgment on him that was the same judgment that he had on himself when he first was encountered by the Lord on the Damascus Road. You see, Saul could have very well been, or Paul could have very well been in this man's shoes. In fact, he was. He was deterring people from the faith. He was arresting the church, throwing them in jail. Paul was exactly where this man was at. And so it looks very harsh, and it is. The guy, you know, gets blasted, and then it just ends. We don't hear about the guy. Well, when does he see again? Well, I want to. I have to wait till tomorrow night to watch. You know the. You know who wins. You know the American Idol. I mean, it's like what happened to this guy? How does it play out? And it doesn't say, but understand how did Paul's life play out he ended up coming to faith he ended up following the Lord he ended up being rebuked by God being blind and then being really able to see and the same thing happens or could have happened to this bar Jesus the sorcerer yeah it seems pretty harsh right now and his his words are definitely really hard harsh but I love in verse 10, it says, will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? There's a question mark. Will you? Well, I'm going to give you time to think about it. You'll be blind for a while. So think about that. And so the guy's blind immediately. It says a mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Here's another interesting point. It says he saw what happened, but he was amazed about the teaching about the Lord. He saw it happen, but what amazed him was the teaching about the Lord. The understanding of who God was, God's holiness, God's greatness, and then the person of Jesus Christ his mercy coming down, dying for his sin, rising again from the dead. That amazed him. That's what amazed him was the truth about the teaching of the word of God. And in verse 13, we're going to close with verse 13. It says, from Paphos, Paul, his, compa his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia where John left them and returned to Jerusalem. I'm going to stop there because this is a big point in Paul's point in life because John Mark left. We don't know why he left, but something is interesting that starts taking place here as we see that there becomes a role reversal now where Paul's name is going to be mentioned first. We see that Paul and Barnabas, and Paul becomes the one who kind of, at this point, it says Paul and his companions, and Paul kind of takes lead from here on out. Why did John Mark leave? Well, maybe Uncle Barnabas wasn't in charge anymore. You know, Barnabas is an encourager. Paul's a little heavy-handed for me. I don't know if I could serve under Paul because... 
He just made that guy blind. Uncle Barney wouldn't do that. Maybe he got scared. There was persecution. We don't know. But he leaves here and we know that it's a problem for Paul later on because when Barnabas says, okay, we're going to go on our next trip, I'm going to get John, Paul says, no. He left last time. I don't trust him that he's going to stay and stick with us, and so I don't want him to come. And they have no small contention, it says. They have a big argument, so much so that they can't travel together anymore. And it starts with this here, this point here. The great thing is in Paul's epistle, he tells Timothy, send for me John Mark. He is profitable for the kingdom. Paul's a pretty hard-headed dude. He's pretty fierce. But at the end of his ministry, he asks for John Mark. One thing that I have noticed as I'm getting older and from people who I have listened to and have taught as they've gotten older. I remember hearing a Bible study and when it was asked, well, through your years of ministry, it was Don McClure, what, what has the Lord shown you? And he said, you know, if I knew what I know now, back when I started, I would have loved people more. I would have been more patient. I would have been more compassionate with I think it's interesting because here John leaves, Paul's hard-nosed about it later, but at the end Paul says, he's profitable, bring him here. Something about love that as you get older, it starts becoming more and more important. It starts becoming something that is crucial instead of something that's just nice. And I believe if we understand the heart of God, even in the judgment of Herod and in the judgment of Elimaeus, the sorcerer, you can see that the heart of God is not just to push people away, but it is to draw people to himself. But if we will not give the glory to God, if we will not give him the praise, it will eat our lives up. It will destroy us. And we may have to be blinded in the dark before we can actually see the light, but God will do it so that we can see the light, even as he did with Paul. That God is merciful, that God is gentle, that God is love. He's patient, he's kind, and those are the things that we really need to be. And as we, as I get older, I've been able to see this even in my relationship with my children. You know, I just love them more. I wish I would have loved them more when they were younger. I, I wish I could have given of myself more to them. And the same with people. You just see that that really is what's important. And I, I pray that's something that we can learn because that's who God is. His love, His mercy endures forever. And, and as we recognize these things that God does in our lives, let's, let's give Him glory. Let's give him praise. I thought it was so neat as we were praying and Linda shared about the Lord just being merciful with her, keeping her job. Of all the temps, she kept her job and she said, Lord, I know it's you. Thank you, Lord. You know, I feel bad, but thank you, Lord. And I thought, what a great witness. You know, I, I feel bad for those people. That's the heart God has for those people, but I recognize it was you, God. I, 
I'm thankful. Beautiful. That's great. How neat. And so let's allow the Lord to do that in our lives and let's give him glory with whatever he does in our lives. Let's stop there and let's pray. Father, I do pray that we would learn from these lessons, kind of some heavy judgments that fell on both Herod and, and Elimaeus, the sorcerer, Lord. And they're judgments that are there for us to learn from, God, that our lives are to give you glory. And if we don't, we will be eaten alive. It will eat at us. And if we hinder your work, God, you will deal with us. And Lord, I don't believe any one of us here wants to be a hindrance to what you're doing in another person's life. I don't, I don't know that anyone would want to take one of their friends or family members or someone that they know and steer them away from you consciously. But sometimes we do that without even thinking. We, we compromise in our faith. We involve people in things that we know aren't good. We involve people in our own sinfulness. And Lord, we don't realize it, but what we're doing is the same thing that Elimaeus the sorcerer did. We are deterring someone from hearing the truth. And, and your judgment rests on that, Lord. Father, I pray that you'd help us to, to be aware of these things, that our lives would not be a stumbling to anybody. Lord, that we would truly love as you love and care as you care. I pray that you sink these things in our hearts. And bless this time as we go home, Lord. Just may we minister to one another. I do pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.